News Network. In a world where up is down and sideways is a way of life, when the truth one moment is a lie the next, and everything is your fault, you need hope. You need clarity. You need TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. With that coming. You know what? My dad used to teach me something, and he showed me how to do it. He said, unless you ever try, you'll never fail. If you never try, you'll never fail. And of course, sometimes you do fail, but when you fail and you're legitimately trying to accomplish something, that's a whole lot better than just never doing anything right. Well, I'm trying to put that in the context of what's happening now in this administration, the Joe Biden administration, trying to find some good stuff that I can just grab a hold of. And it's really difficult, folks. (laughs) Joe's trying. (laughs) But you know what? Joe's always tried. He's always been in government. He's been out in the forefront of pretty much everything he's been a part of. He was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, probably the most powerful committee in Congress for a number of years. And he messed up there. He's constantly put his foot in his mouth and also put his foot in the mouths of other people as he's doing right now in this administration again and again and again. We should expect nothing less than President Joe Biden to be President Joe Biden. <laughs> well, good morning to you all. Oh, my goodness. I'm in a little bit better frame of mind this morning. Very, very early this morning, a prayer meeting I go to every morning at 6, 6 a.m. Central Time. Irvin Rutherford, one of my good friends, who's also probably the consummate missionary to all of Asia, uh, over 50 years, he and his wife, they've established schools, uh, all kinds of clinics, um, churches, of course, and um, even kids' homes, orphanages all over Asia, including Afghanistan. And if you were on with us yesterday in our show, we told you that a missionary family out of our church is over there working with Irving Irvin Rutherford. We're actually outside of Kabul, Afghanistan. And during the night last night, Irvin got the phone call. The family got on that jet that you see packed with all those Afghanis that took off from the airport in Kabul and is, I guess they're already there, but they headed to Germany and everybody's okay. Great sign. Boy, it felt good this morning when I heard about that. I was really worried about it. And you know what, folks? We back here in the U.S., we just take so much of what we have for granted. We've lived in this environment, most of us, our entire lives. We've never known any other way of life. We've never known real hardships. Now, I'm not saying every American goes through life untested and untried. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where you're a mom, you're a dad, and you have to worry every day that some government official is going to come to your front door and capture one of your kids and just take them away or drag you out on the streets and either behead you or shoot you just because of something somebody said about you. The world is full of nations where those kind of things happen every day. We are so blessed here in the United States of America that we never have to see that. We never have to deal with it firsthand. And we should be more aware 
of things like that happening to those in other parts of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not putting Americans down. We are the most giving country on the planet. There's no doubt about it. We always have been. That's part of who this nation is, on what foundation we were founded. We're the melting pot of the world. We've always prided ourselves in the fact that anybody can come from anywhere and get an equal chance, an equal opportunity to create whatever life they want to create. doesn't matter your ethnicity, your skin color, your sex, uh, where you come from, your nation of origin. None of that matters. Now, our government never has and doesn't today offer everyone equality in the way of a guarantee you're going to get anything that you want. It's equality in the way of your ability to go tackle, do your best, find a way, and get after your dreams unimpeded by our government. That's what everybody's guaranteed. We should be proud of our nation for that. Now, let me just let me just give you a little caveat here. I'm embarrassed that this government is doing so much to diminish what this nation has always been about internationally. And it's not just starting now, folks. It's been going on since January the 20th and even the run-up to January 20th when Joe Biden took the oath of office and took the reins of leadership from Donald Trump. We started down a precipice that day and we continue to walk down it. We've been walking, I think, maybe now we're skipping towards the edge of that precipice and what lies underneath is not good. There's nothing about it that is good. So as is usual, when you have a far lefty in leadership in this country, they can never do anything wrong. Their decisions are always perfect. And if their decisions don't work out as planned, it's because somebody else screwed up and messed up what they planned to do. And that's happening right now in our nation. Our president, it, it just blows my mind. These people in Washington, they seem to forget that every word that is captured, that's spoken, is captured somewhere on camera, in audio. Every word that is written, it's in the out, outer spheres of the world and is going to remain available for everybody to find at some point in the future. Joe Biden just doesn't realize that he said all kinds of things throughout his 50-plus years in Washington that are on tape somewhere. And boy, he's blustered at Donald Trump during the campaign. He blames Donald Trump for everything that happened bad so far in this administration. And of course, that's what they do. Barack Obama and Joe Biden in their first rodeo in Washington, they blamed everything bad that happened on George Bush, 43, Bush 43. Biden just took another page out of the Obama playbook. And as weak as he is in explanations and coming up with um, ideas now, he used to be a creative guy. He would say all kinds of things, but many of them, as you know, weren't true, weren't factual, but 
all woven in the things that he said were some really important good things. I don't think those are included in what he's saying anymore. So this this horror story that's playing out over in Afghanistan, yeah, a bunch of Americans, a bunch of uh, of our allies among the Afghan community got out of there, but there are tens of thousands of others that are over there and they're praying for their lives. Hopefully the Biden administration will figure out a way to make them safe, keep them safe, and get them out of there. You know, you being a nation, as a government, you go into another nation and you create a presence there and you stay there 20 years. Your military is seen everywhere. You've got two air bases. You get ingrained in those communities and you make friends. You find allies, especially when you're in a country that pretty much your home country, the United States, is their sworn enemy, or at least part of their government's sworn enemy. And those people, folks, they've committed themselves to be intelligence sources for us, to be guides, to be interpreters, to help Americans that are living over there. And the Taliban hated them. No matter what you hear on the media today, let me just say this. We know factually yesterday they pulled an untold number of Afghani citizens out of their homes and killed them on the streets of Kabul. Why? Somehow, and we knew it was going on, the Biden administration knew about it, somebody turned over a list of the names of the Afghani people that had been working with the United States intelligence community and working with other branches of our government. And they slaughtered them. They're considered to be turncoats. We are the infidels. We are the great Satan, the United States is, to the radical Islamist. And so anybody that wears that tag, anybody that cahoots, is in cahoots with the great Satan, you don't deserve to live, and according to Sharia law, you're put to death. Mainstream media is not talking about that. In fact, if you watch this morning, if you looked at news this morning about it, they're saying, hey, you know what? Uh, the Taliban, they didn't, they didn't do anything really bad. 17 provincial capital cities they went through on their march through Afghanistan to Kabul. In each of those 17 communities, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to give you some facts from a story about what's happening to young women and has been as the Taliban has marched to take over the Afghani government. You remember all the, the craziness, the upset, the anger, the vitriol, the hatred for Guantanamo Bay, which has pretty much been a military prison down in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, a piece of Cuba that the United States owns. And that's where, starting all the way back in the Bush 43 administration, 9-11 when all that happened and we captured terrorists and we're bringing them to the United States and wanting to put them somewhere safe where they could be interrogated, that all ended up being at Guantanamo Bay. Well, there was one terrorist from Afghanistan that was caught, captured, kept at Guantanamo Bay for a number of years, and apparently he turned, he turned over some intelligence 
to our intelligence community sufficient enough to uh, work a deal and get a release to go back to the Middle East. Well, he did. And he went right back in and he picked up the mantle. And guess who is going to be the head of the Taliban Afghani government? Abu. That's not his whole name, but that's how he's known. We had him at Guantanamo Bay, and now he's up there at the top calling all the shots, and he's basically telling the President of the United States what to do. That's just one little thing. Do you think that when our government, when they, when they contemplate doing something big, like, you know, going into Afghanistan or leaving Afghanistan, you think there'd be a long time, a ramp up, a, a, a very elaborate plan put in place that everybody would weigh in on, everybody being the people at the top of the intelligence community and the military leaders. I mean, it, it, you know, a lot of moving parts. you got to get a lot of things put together. We've been over there 20 years, a couple of air bases. We have all kinds of jets and support uh, material and, and machinery. I mean, all kinds of weaponry. Do you know that at one of the air bases, there's a prison there, and we had 5,000, 5,000 Taliban prisoners locked up. And we just walked off day before yesterday and left them. Taliban, first thing they did was release them. Many of those people are now making their way throughout Afghanistan, and they're looking for retribution against all of those that had anything to do with them being thrown in jail. And if you supported, smiled, liked, fed an American, especially a military service member, you're toast. That's just one little thing. But Joe, he had it already, folks. He had everything together. He just completely ignored the agreement that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and former President Donald Trump had put together for an organized organized and structured, mutually agreed-to process of a transition of the United States military leaving Afghanistan. It was exhaustively negotiated, and the Taliban were at the, at the table during those negotiations, as was the leadership of the Afghan government. The United States in those negotiations, all in writing, there's an agreement that was signed, made it very clear if the Taliban stepped on any of the provisions to which they had committed in that agreement, and there was any kind of military or terrorist action that happened during the transition, the exact words President Trump used that they told the Taliban leaders, we will crush you immediately. So Joe made it very clear, oh, when I took over, I had this, this agreement thing, you know, and, and I had to make a decision. It was an agreement between the United States and the Afghan government and the Taliban. And I had to decide if I was going to honor it or tear it up. But being a man of my word, I said I'm going to honor it. With one big exception, which he did not say publicly, he ignored the provisions included in that. The what, the what not, 
and the timing of it all. Back in April, he actually got up on the bully pulpit and he basically laid the plan out for America. Listen to Joe Biden. When I came to office, I inherited a diplomatic agreement duly negotiated between the government of the United States and the Taliban that all U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021, just three months after my inauguration. That's what we inherited, that commitment. It's perhaps not what I would have negotiated myself, but it was an agreement made by the United States government, and that means something. So in keeping with that agreement and with our national interest, the United States will begin our final withdrawal begin it on May 1 of this year. We'll not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it We'll do it responsibly, deliberately, and safely. And we will do it in full coordination with our allies and partners, who now have more forces in Afghanistan than we do. And the Taliban should know that if they attack us as we draw down, we will defend ourselves and our partners with all the tools at our disposal. Our allies and partners have stood beside us shoulder to shoulder in Afghanistan for almost 20 years. And we're deeply grateful for the contributions they have made to our shared mission and for the sacrifices they've borne. The plan has long been in together, out together. And then in July of this year, he got back up and basically doubled down on what he said other than May 1. Because in July, May 1 had passed, and Joe, though he promised to honor that commitment, hadn't put the plans in place. There was no transition underway. That should have been a telltale sign to everybody party to that agreement that, hey, this guy, though he said he was going to honor it, he's not going to. So what did the Taliban do? They basically said, you know what? They said they'd be gone. They're not gone. We're going to move in. Now, what about that plan Joe said they put together that he was going to honor and they weren't going to leave like overnight. They were going to transition. It was going to be a safe withdrawal. And that would mean moving all of those contributing partners, Afghani people that we had that basically had given their lives to us. They were employed by our government. And everybody knew if we left and they remained, and the Taliban took over, it was a death sentence for all those folks. So there was no transition. There was no coordinated, slow, timely move of resources out. There was no plan in place or activated, if it was in place, to help these Afghanis to save their lives and get them out of their country two hours, which we had promised them if they would work with us. There was none of that. It was everybody head for the exits over last weekend, folks, and it has fallen apart on Joe Biden's watch, and he is not taking responsibility for any of it, for any of it. He was quiet as a church mouse the whole weekend. He and Kamala Harris, vice president, they were vacationing. The White House was shut down. There was a sign on the front door that said, closed for vacation. 
Nobody knew what our government was doing and what should be being done. Meanwhile, 17 provincial capital cities across Afghanistan over a 30-45 day period, the Taliban were moving in and slaughtering people. Finally, finally, our president decided, well, I guess I got to go face the music. Y'all write me a speech. And they did. And so he jumped on the helicopter, Marine One, or two. There's always two, and there's two that fly side by side. There's actually three because they don't want terrorists to know which one the president's on. So anyway, they flew from Camp David to the White House, and he goes inside, and somebody laid the script down and pointed and said, there's a teleprompter, Mr. President, and they turned the television cameras on yesterday, and here's Joe. When I came into office, I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the Taliban. Under his agreement, U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021, just a little over three months after I took office. U.S. forces had already drawn down during the Trump administration from roughly 15,500 American forces to 2,500 troops in country. And the Taliban was at its strongest militarily since 2001. The Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. So, again, doubling down on the fact that the, the Taliban... They can't do anything bad. So we're trying, and of course, there was a lot more to the speech. I'm sure many of you heard it. Um, And he just went on and on and on about, I, and he said it, I don't regret my decision. I don't think it was wrong. I believe we did what we should do. And folks, it ain't anywhere near being over right now. We're just in the beginning of it. And you would think the media the left media, the mainstream media, the sycophant talking heads of the Democrat Party, they would be out there just patting Joe on the back and Kamala saying, great job, you got it taken care of. Those those Taliban people, they're not bad people. Look, it's their country too. They can live there and they have rights in their own country. They should govern themselves. If the Afghani people want the Taliban in control, they put them in control and let them, let them roll. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works in terroristic Islamist Sharia law countries, folks. It doesn't work there. Islamist. Islamists are about total domination. I'm just not sure if Biden misses that, if he doesn't understand it, or if he purposely just doesn't look at it. But even the United States mainstream media that has always been the person, the entities, whenever Joe Biden breaks wind, somebody jumps up and says, excuse me, making excuses for everything. But uh, as of what played out on international stage, 
over the weekend and is still playing out today in Afghanistan. The worm has turned. Mainstream media are no longer giving this president a benign pass. The rapid fall of Afghanistan stunning the Biden administration and this nation, quite frankly. And many of the promises, predictions, and the words of the president and his White House are coming back to haunt them. This is CNN. Is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. So the question now is, where do they go from here? That the jury is still out. But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Well, they own the whole country now, the Taliban does. When Biden made those comments on July 8th, just about a month ago, the Taliban had already started gaining ground in the country. Biden said for months that it was going to be up to Afghan leaders and security forces to maintain power. I think they have the capacity to be able to sustain the government. We can be value added, but the Afghans are going to have to be able to do it themselves with the air force they have, which are helping to maintain. They absolutely were not the Afghan security forces able to sustain that. Afghanistan fell within days, and in Kabul, the Taliban met little resistance. President Ashraf Ghani had already fled the country by the time the Taliban marched into the streets of Kabul. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken conceding the administration was unprepared. That the Taliban was at its greatest position of strength uh, at any time since 2001, when it was last in charge of the country. That is the Taliban uh, that we inherited. Uh, and so we saw that they were f- very much capable of going on the offensive uh, and uh, beginning to take uh, back the country. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, uh, we've seen that that force has been unable to defend the country. And that has happened more quickly than we anticipated. The Biden administration is now unable to articulate why the evacuation of its personnel and Afghan allies was botched so badly after Biden himself had vowed a competent withdrawal. We'll not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it. We'll do it responsibly, deliberately and safely. And we will do it in full coordination with our allies and partners who now have more forces in Afghanistan than we do. Biden has mobilized additional U.S. troops to join the few thousand that are still in Afghanistan as the U.S. attempts hasty evacuations from Kabul's airport, even as the Taliban controls neighboring areas. And one more recent promise that has been broken, that is the promise that this would not be similar to the fall of Saigon in 1975. The Taliban is not the the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It looks like, folks, Joe pretty much got it all wrong. And people are paying the price for his getting it wrong, many of them paying with their lives. Now, what about that agreement? that Joe just told us over the last 20 minutes or so that Donald Trump put together with the leadership of the Taliban. Well, let's go back to February 29th of this year. 
February 29th of last year, excuse me, of 2020. This wasn't a leap year, 2020 was. Um, on ABC News, listen to this. This was the story that day. December 23rd, actually, <clears throat> was the date of this agreement. December 23rd, 2020. After a week-long deal to reduce violence across Afghanistan, the U.S. and the Taliban signed a historic agreement that would see U.S. groups start to withdraw according to a statement issued Friday afternoon by President Trump. Soon at my direction, Trump's edict said, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will witness the signing of an agreement with representatives of the Taliban, while Secretary of Defense Mark Esper will issue a joint declaration with the government of Afghanistan. If the Taliban and the government of Afghanistan live up to these commitments, we will have a powerful path forward to end the war in Afghanistan and bring our troops home, Trump said. Pompeo is in Doha, Qatar, where the U.S. and the militant group have engaged in talks for more than a year and a half and is where the signing ceremony of this agreement took place. At the same time, Esper issued a joint statement to reaffirm U.S. support for the Afghan government, long rejected by the Taliban, and sidelined from their talks with the U.S. negotiations. The agreement with the militant group that harbored the al-Qaeda operatives responsible for the 9-11 attacks comes after over 18 years of war. The Trump administration hopes it is poised to reshape Afghanistan, leading to national peace negotiations and ending any Taliban safe haven for terrorists that threaten the U.S. homeland. But critics warn the Taliban has neither the ability nor perhaps the appetite to carry out their commitments. According to Pompeo, the agreement triggers a conditions-based and phased U.S. withdrawal and the commencement of Afghan negotiations where all sides of the conflict will sit down together and begin the hard work of reconciliation. U.S. officials say the deal also includes Taliban commitments on counterterrorism, although those details are still unclear. These commitments represent an important step to a lasting peace in a new Afghanistan free from al-Qaeda, ISIS, and any other terrorist group that would seek to bring us harm. That was in Trump's statement. Ultimately, it will be up to the people of Afghanistan to work out their future. We, therefore, urge the Afghan people to seize this opportunity for peace and a new future for their, uh, for their country. The president did note that if bad things happen, the U.S. troops will go back to Afghanistan with a force like nobody's ever seen. I really believe the Taliban wants to do something to show that we're not all wasting time, Trump said, but if bad things happen, we'll go back to people, we'll go back to Afghanistan. People know we'll go back and we'll go back so fast and we'll go back with a force like nobody's ever seen. That's from the agreement. That's what Biden said. He agreed that he would honor a nation making an agreement with another nation. That's what we do. We're Americans. But guess what? Biden and his administration did none of the provisions of the run-up to the withdrawal that were included 
in that agreement between President Trump, the Afghan government, and the leadership of the Taliban. It's no wonder that it didn't come down the way that it was supposed to come down because we did not do our part. The United States of America, and there are thousands of people that are paying for the U.S.'s boo-boo with their lives. Former CIA analyst Matt Zeller, you've heard the name before. We've, we've had things here on the show that he has said. Yesterday, he told MSNBC's Nicole Wallace on her show that President Biden lied to the American people during his address on the chaotic evacuation of Afghans that worked with our military over the last 20 years. Zeller said, I feel like I watched when he's talking about Biden's Trump. I feel like I watched a different speech than the rest of you guys. I was appalled. There was such a profound, bald-faced lie in that speech, the idea we planned for every contingency, and Biden did say that. Zeller said, I've been personally trying to tell this administration since it took office. I've been trying to tell our government for years this was coming. We sent them plan after plan on how to evacuate these people. Nobody listened to us. They didn't plan for the evacuation of our Afghan wartime allies. They're trying to conduct it now at the 11th hour. Zeller said, I have Afghans on the ground right now who are telling me the Taliban going door to door in Kabul and making lists of people who used to work with us. They're telling them with smiles on their face, evil smiles. They will be back for them once we leave. So we either take them now or these people are going to die. Zeller said, I've been trying to tell anyone who'll listen that this is a never again moment in the making. This is an administration that seems to be a profound champion and defender of human rights. Well, sometimes human rights have to be defended at the barrel end of a gun. The Taliban are a modern version of the Nazis. And he finished by saying this, these people went on to the next unit and the next mission time and time and again, and how dare us to even contemplate leaving them behind to, again, what I consider to be a modern equivalent of the Nazi party. That's a former CIA analyst, Matt Zeller. Well, we mentioned the Nazis, and we mentioned, of course, that would be Germany. What are the German leaders thinking about this? How about Angela Merkel? German Chancellor Angela Merkel labeled the 20-year Afghan war as being in vain. And then there's French President Emmanuel Macron. He stated that the country must not again become a hub of terrorism. The German and the French leaders, they gave televised statements yesterday to their respective nations, with Merkel calling the Taliban's conquest of the last major parts of Afghanistan over the weekend an extremely bitter development, bitter, dramatic, and terrifying. While both of those two nations, France and Germany, contributed considerably less to the Afghan war effort than the U.S. and the U.K. over the past 20 years, nevertheless, the conflicts have loomed large in their respective national debates. The German chancellor stated the German armed forces had done a great deal in the country. 
We must never forget those who have paid for this with their lives. 59 Germans among them, she said. Chancellor Merkel said the German Luftwaffe have deployed three aircraft to help in the evacuation of thousands of support staff as well as development and NGO workers. She added she'd spoken to Macron on coordinating evacuation efforts and that the government would discuss helping states around Afghanistan who are seeking refugees flee across their borders in the wake of the Taliban takeover. Macron, he addressed the French nation at 8 p.m. local time yesterday in a brief address saying, a historic turning point is at work in Afghanistan. Afghanistan's capital, Kabul, fell in a matter of hours. This is a major consequence for the international community and for France. And then you wonder, what about the other kind of nations? What do their leaders say? Well, what about China? What do you think China thinks about it? State-run China's Global Times newspaper celebrated the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban jihadist organization, and they called it a complete humiliation for the United States shortly before the foreign ministry hinted that it is open to friendly ties with a new Taliban regime running the nation of Afghanistan. Now let's put that in context. When we walked away from Bagram Air Base, one of the two big air bases that we built and funded and staffed in Afghanistan for 20 years, that big one of the air bases that we just pitched the keys on somebody in the Taliban's desk and we just walked out of, full of infrastructure, full of weapons, Airplanes, tanks, all kinds of military hardware we just walked away from. That airbase is 200 miles from the border of China. That was the closest strategic military location the United States had to the country that is, without question, our biggest foe on the planet. That happened on Joe Biden's watch. And then one more, one more leader. What about the president of Iran? The military defeat in the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan should offer an opportunity to restore life, security, and lasting peace in that country. That's Iranian President Razi. He said that in a statement published by his presidential office yesterday. The statement captured some remarks made by Razi during a phone call with Iranian Foreign Minister Javed Zarif earlier yesterday. The president, Razi, said the Islamic Republic of Iran wanted good neighborly ties with Afghanistan. Iran is closely monitoring the evolution of events in Afghanistan adding that he tasked Zarif and Iran's Supreme National Security to give him updated reports on the situation in Afghanistan. Violence and war, like occupation, never solve problems, he said. Of course, that was a left-handed swipe at the United States for being there for 20 years. Iran stands ready to continue its peacemaking efforts in Afghanistan. 
So in the middle of this, Zarif met with his Chinese special envoy counterpart in Tehran yesterday. The two discussed the current security situation in Afghanistan after the Taliban seized control of Kabul. That seems like, a, you know, a kind of a strategic timing from uh, one terrorist state, biggest terrorist state on the planet, that would be Iran, and probably the biggest country and the most evil entity on the globe, that would be China. That's what we need, folks. That's just what we need. We need China and Iran and Afghanistan with the Taliban, and then there's Syria and Somalia and all these other places on the planet. We need them all in cahoots with each other. So we have to take on not one, not two, not three, maybe four or five foreign entities that are hell-bent on the destruction of the great Satan. And that would be us, the United States of America. I hate to start the day just being negative and talking negative, and I'm not negative, folks. I told you yesterday when we first turned the microphone on and started talking about what was happening over there, we don't need to worry and fret about it. I know that's hard to swallow. And after everything I've said, and you've heard the president speak three occasions and the news media are blasting President Biden, even CNN, that we could be in deep, deep trouble. And we may be, folks. But I got to be honest with you. If that's going to happen to any country on the planet, I want that to be where I live, and that would be the United States of America. There's no country on earth that has a better shot at working through, pushing through, and being okay on the other side of this. Nobody better than the United States of America. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to clean up some of this stuff. And I think we have a few people that want to share their thoughts with us live on air here. Don't go anywhere. Back after this at TNN Live. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize... Your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at SnowballExpress.org. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom. 
close encounters of the third bathroom. A river runs through the bathroom. For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. While some compromise to be nice, others aggressively hold to the truth. Guess which one we are. TNN, the Truth News Network. Happy days again. <laughs> We're going to be fine. Joining us now on the phone, I used to say always from way down south Texas, but uh, Todd Breland's now in central Florida. Todd, you've been watching this Afghanistan debacle play out from down there. What are your thoughts on what's going on? First of all, it's very disheartening, of course, to the people of Afghanistan and our troops for the last 20 years who have sacrificed their lives and the families who have suffered great loss. Our hearts go out to our troops who or who feel defeated, who feel defeated for their service like it was in vain. We want to reassure them it was not. They made history. They are making history during the service for our nation, and we love our troops. The thing that bugs the me the most about that is I don't want to, I don't, you got you to gotta understand the, the context in which I'm saying this. I'm not in, in any way diminishing the gold star heroes that lost their lives there. But think about the ones that went over there and they came back in pieces. I mean, you know, minus eyes, legs, arms, many of them, I mean, just total vegetables. And they did it all voluntarily. That's what people don't understand. We don't have a, um, a conscription military. It's all volunteer. People make a determination and volunteer and commit to do it. And when they do that, they all know in the back of their minds, I'm putting my life on the line, but yes. they, none of those young men and women, they, they, they never really give serious thought to, I may not come back or I may come back in pieces rather than being in total. The psychological damage to all of those people, even the ones that didn't get hurt desperately, it's got to be egregious and mind-boggling. And then here we are. This administration just bailed on the whole concept. It's it's disheartening to say the least. Just Sunday, Dan, I was take I took my sons to a local trampoline park, jumpy house, whatever you want to call it. And as I'm sitting watching my sons play dodgeball at the local trampoline park, I look to my right and there's a gentleman who's legless climbing the stairs of getting to this level where the kids were playing and he's assisting his two to three year old son go to enjoy the activities. And I see this veteran and I have a combo with him who lost his legs in Afghanistan while serving our nation. And it's, it's rough. You see it right there in front of me. I'm looking at this man who skipped out of his wheelchair purposely to go up the steps because there's not a ramp available for legless parents to watch their children. And I'm not knocking the trampoline park. It is what it is. 
but this level didn't have a ramp and this gentleman got out of his wheelchair climbed the steps assisting his toddler to the level and this gentleman lost both of his legs in afghanistan this brings to mind something and i hadn't thought about this todd but i want to ask you this my kids are all grown and i've got grandkids you have young children at home um how how does a dad especially your kids were right there and they basically saw the same thing that you did how do we teach our kids what's going on in a situation like this afghanistan I mean, it means very little except maybe in geography class. It's a point on a, uh, you know, a globe. Yes, sir. Somewhere on the other side of the world. But how can we make our children understand what's going on? Our sons are nine and five. There are some things that we allow our children to see, and there are things that we don't. They couldn't help but to see the legless veteran. And of course, their look of awe. Yeah. And, uh, but at this time of our kids' lives, at this age, we try to instill values and respect while limiting how much television they see. Yeah. For obvious reasons. And we're trying to teach the positives and not yet infiltrate them with the negatives. So they they don't see from us via our TV or any way we see news of the, of the negativity going on. Do I want them to be ignorant of what's happening? We're teaching the positives. We ensure we are in, we are instilling within them that our veterans and our soldiers, current soldiers, are are, are fighting the good fight and defending our nation and and trying to keep the world at peace. But obviously those tasks are being undermined by an administration that is falling into the hands of China's goal to be the world's dominating nation, in which they vowed, China made it public years ago, to they vowed to be dominator of the world. And we have an administration who has given in, I think because of cash, has fallen into that trap of executing the Chinese plan to perfection. Do I think this week's events were an accident? Hell no. I think it was exactly according to plan. You look back at, yeah, the first real sign that we saw, there's a lot of foul play some of us believe the virus was released by the Chinese government's lab or the lab by the Chinese government on purpose to to punish democracy worldwide. Even if ones will be sacrificed, obviously millions have died who were who have and will be infected, who are currently infected with COVID. Hey. Do I think the virus is real? Do I think it's heck yeah? Of course it is. I know people who have died. I'm saying that the Chinese government releases on purpose to control population to an extent to damage democracy worldwide. And do I think this plan of the Taliban taking over was strategically executed in 
partnership with our administration, which is total embarrassment, including General Miley, who I think has mixed up his priorities when he's learning and teaching critical race theory instead of defending those who are weak. God said we're supposed to protect those who are weak who can't take care of themselves. Our administration is an embarrassment to the world, but they are executing a plan. And look at this, Dan. I look at this as a further way for U.S. democracy to be destroyed and the left to continue being in control. Look at all the U.S. cargo planes filled with Afghanistan. What will happen next? I think the U.S. government will throw out benefits and free money and free everything to gain their support of those who are who were lucky enough to flee inside the plane, not outside the plane. May God be with them. But to convince the refugees that this U.S. government of free handouts and supporting their medical needs, their living expenses, and everything else to gain their support, votes in control it's all about control via greed this is not a democracy of which we are deteriorating to this is nothing about the democracy that our founding fathers created for the united states of america so do i think this was an accident hell no this was another another step the plan for china to be dominating to dominate the world todd before i let you get away let me switch gears just for a second. Your sure. your your family is Latino and Caucasian. Your wife is Latino. That means your kids are also half and half. Yes, how sir. how now y'all have relocated from the southern border down in South Texas to Central Florida, but you still have a business over there and you're in constant contact. You've got friends and family and all that kind of stuff. And we still own a house there, yes, sir. Yeah, I know it's for sale too. Uh, uh, pending, pending, pending. Okay, yeah, I got it. Um, so your children, when they were there, I mean, they know they're Hispanic and they're Native American, not Indian Native American, but Caucasian American. Yes. When they watched that play out down there, how did that impact those children that you have regarding the illegal immigration people flooding our southern border through South Texas. How did your kids process that? I'm just curious. I wanted to ask you that before we get away. Sure. They were eight and four at the time. Our kids do not recognize color. Thanks be to God. I mean, Dan, our kids are God-loving, God-fearing, respectful to all colors. We don't see color, man. I mean... I grew up in South Louisiana. I've got more black friends than most people. They're not color. They are friends. All of our blood is red. So my black friends and I are family. My my Hispanic and Mexican, two different groups, are family. I don't recognize color. My Our sons at eight and four before we uh, left the Rio Grande Valley, mid-February, were never confronted with any racism because they were surrounded by all colors. There's nothing that separates an Asian, a Hispanic, a Mexican, 
uh, Native American, Caucasian, our black brothers and sisters, we're all the same. When we moved here to Central Florida six months ago, seven months ago, it was awesome. And I captured a picture, Dan, of our sons chasing lizards near the RV park bathhouse on the outside bushes with a group of Puerto Ricans, African-Americans, Caucasians. There is no difference in humans. Todd, I want to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts this morning. You're a great American, and I'm glad that you're part of our family, and I've never met you face-to-face. We have mutual close friends and relatives, uh, but I tell you this, I really respect the love you have for this nation in your heart and your commitment to the right things. Thank God you and your wife are raising those children to ignore skin color and to just run away from racism and just look at people as people. What a novel idea. Amen. And I'll tell you, if you've got to add any color before you say the lot, the phrase lives matter, if you have to add any color, any word in front of lives matter, those are the racist. Gotcha. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you, Todd Breland. From Rio Grande Valley, now in a really pretty part of Florida, Central Florida. A great American. Folks, it's not all bad. It's really not all bad. We're going to be okay on the other side of this. Hang in there. We are just getting cranking today. Back after this. More coming at TNN Live. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt, and vinegar, too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. Des MoinesHelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Wow, wow, wow. It's hard to get everything in, stuff that we need to talk about. The important things we don't want you to miss. Let me ask you a question. First of all, let me tell you what. At the bottom of this upcoming hour, 1030 Central Time, we are going to be speaking to a friend from California. And uh, this is the mother whose daughter is a heavyweight in a California hospital emergency department. We're going to be visiting about 
mandatory vaccines and what's going on regarding hospital treatment for COVID patients in California. And we hear all kinds of stuff about what's going on in California. I mean, there are political stuff out there, folks. It's like they're on another planet, or at least I'm on another planet. I don't understand how Californians deal with everything there. It's so stinking expensive. And when I met the woman that you're going to meet at the bottom of the hour, I told her she's a lifer. She grew up in California. You don't meet many native Californians. Well, I don't. Um, But I told her, I said, if there's one thing about California that I could could do away with, it's all of the political crud that happens out there because it's so far left politically and getting farther left every day. But if there's one thing that I could grab a hold of and take ownership of and take it with me everywhere I go and where I live, it's the weather. (laughs) The weather out there in California is amazing. We're going to visit with her, and she's going to talk about, we're not going to give you names. We're protecting her and her daughter because um, uh, it's, it's beginning to be very, very critical. Some of these big employers that are mandating vaccines they are just taking assault on the employees that are resistant to do it. And that brings up a whole different conversation, a really spooky thing to consider. We'll get more into that in our phone call with her and even after that phone call. But let's go back and, and, and pick up a couple of other important things I want to make sure you know about, know that's happening regarding this Afghanistan stuff. You remember the name Leon Panetta? Leon Panetta, he's a, he's a mousy-looking little guy with a round nose, wears thick glasses. He first popped up on the political scene in the, I think it was the second Bill Clinton administration. But then in the Obama administration, he was brought in first. He was the Department of Defense Secretary. He was a CIA director, Leon Panetta. Very, very hard left Democrat. Well, Panetta yesterday, talking about this Afghanistan stuff, he said that the United States' credibility on the world stage has taken a significant blow. Now, that doesn't seem like it's critical. But folks, when leaders, longtime leaders in the Democrat Party in Washington, D.C., in politics, very well-known, very well-connected, when they start admitting things like that was a significant blow to the United States credibility you stand up and pay attention surprised US officials over the weekend struggled to come up with an explanation for how the Taliban advanced across Afghanistan before the group took the capital Kabul and declared victory amid mass surrenders by government officials and soldiers it was kind of odd the soundbite that you heard the president talk about back from April, and then he doubled down again in July. Oh, the Taliban only have 70,000 total. The Afghan army's 300,000. Folks, the Afghan army, they just held their hands up and handed the Taliban their weapons. There were no fightings. There were no gunshots. There was nothing going on like that, hardly any resistance whatsoever. Panetta is a longtime Democrat official, long time, and he just blasted the Biden administration's execution of the, the Afghanistan withdrawal, if you could even call it an executed withdrawal. 
It was just, hey, y'all, y'all go get on the plane. Panetta actually compared it, what's happening right now, to the Bay of Pigs invasion in 1961. You remember that, if you were alive and around then? That was when U.S.-backed Cuban forces tried to land in Cuba but were held off by the communist regime. Here's what Panetta said. In many ways, I think of John Kennedy in the Bay of Pigs, you know? It unfolded quickly, and the president, was John F. Kennedy, thought that everything would be fine, but that wasn't the case. But President Kennedy took responsibility for what took place at the Bay of Pigs. And Panetta said this, I strongly recommend to President Biden that he take responsibility and admit the mistakes that were made. Hmm. In the middle of the Taliban's successful campaign and capture of Kabul, Biden, also Vice President Kamala Harris, and other White House spokespersons, including Jen Psaki, they're nowhere to be found. Nobody's saying a word. I'm sure that the Biden handlers put a word out and said, y'all keep your mouths shut. Over the weekend, Biden released a statement that in part blamed the collapse of the Afghan government on last year's negotiations that were held by the Trump administration and the Taliban and Doha, Qatar. Biden has faced a lot of criticism from both Republican and Democrat lawmakers as well as former U.S. generals for his silence in this thing. You know, the mark of a good leader any kind of leader in any kind of organization. I don't care if it's a not-for-profit. It may be a scout troop. It doesn't matter. When you have a group that's put together for anything and there's leadership in that group, which there usually always is, there's got to be the ability to lead and manage a group. In other words, keep everybody kind of pointed in the same direction, work through the problems of communication and people getting along and all that kind of stuff, and then move forward with whatever the plan is in whatever group you're involved. And when those plans don't work, the number one sign of a real leader is when the plans don't work. Even if the leader wasn't personally responsible for the plans, the leader signed on to the execution of the plans, the leader always a good leader takes responsibility for any of the failings that happened, even if that leader wasn't the one who put the plan in place. We have been through a difficult few days here in Afghanistan, and he's got to make clear to the American people that as commander-in-chief, he's going to continue to protect our national security, and that we're going to go after terrorists wherever the hell they are. That's Leon Panetta still talking. Biden, he said, has to ensure that the United States of America remains a strong world leader that can work with our allies to try to protect peace and prosperity, adding this. That is the message he's got to give the American people in the world because our credibility right now is in question. Now put that in the context of that's not only a Democrat, folks. That's a Democrat that has led the Pentagon The CIA, pretty strong words from a Democrat about Joe Biden not taking responsibility. And I mean, yesterday, folks, 
he took no responsibility and said he doubled down. He said, I am confident the plan we made and took and executed was the right one. I don't know how the heck he could think. It was right. It was good. Looking at what happened. Folks, I will tell you this. You know that picture that you see in the 1975 when the United States were pulling out of, of uh, Vietnam and you see that picture with that helicopter hovering over the roof of a building at the U.S. Embassy in Saigon and Americans climbing up ladders trying to get up to the helicopter to get out of Dodge. That is the picture that everybody sees all the time. Throughout history, it'll be there as a description of our running with our tails between our legs getting out of Vietnam. That 130 C-130 transport jet rolling down the tarmac at the airport in Kabul yesterday with hundreds of, pack of, of Afghanis chasing it on the ground, climbing up on, on the side, trying to get in. That's the moving picture. That's the video that will be kept and will be seen over and over and over again. And it'll be used throughout history as an example of the failure of this administration in protecting Americans and our allies overseas. Now, it's fixing to get serious. And yeah, I'm from the South. I can use the term fixing. Nothing's broke. But it's about to get serious in the Congress over this president and his actions. We'll get more into this in upcoming days, but just a note here, Representative Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana, he's a member of the Navy Reserve, and he formerly served in Afghanistan. He came out yesterday and said Biden's public absence in the middle of this failed withdrawal has created serious doubts among members of Congress and others about Biden's ability to even continue serving as the commander-in-chief. It was in a telephone interview yesterday when Banks said this. He condemned Biden's lack of communication to the American people, and he called that one appearance, the one which came in the form of photos at the White House that was posted to social media on Sunday afternoon with the president sitting at a table alone on a call. Representative Banks says it was a pathetic image that that one will end in infamy. <laughs> Banks said this, the lights are on at the White House, but nobody's home. Literally, nobody was there. Biden was at Camp David, Maryland. Jen Psaki put an official message on her voicemail at the White House on her extension that said she's out, she's on vacation for a week. And nobody in White House communications came to work yesterday. Nobody. The president was, wasn't there except just for a few minutes when he flew in from Camp David to make that horrible statement to the American people that he could have made from Camp David, and it would have been just as credibility lacking from Camp David as it was from the White House. Whoever's calling the shots here, I, I've always thought that it was Barack Obama. Always have. And it may be. I don't know. I would say now it's better than a 50-50 chance that it has been, at least maybe not calling the, the you know, the, the little things day-to-day, -day, like making speeches and 
timing and all that kind of stuff. But of substance, I am pretty sure Barack Obama is pushing the buttons and yanking chains at the White House. And of course, this fits perfectly into the scenario in which you see Barack Obama. He never took accountability for any of the bad stuff that happened. It was always, and he never deflected to anybody. There was always somebody that would step up and take responsibility. And of course, every time good things happened, he was right out there on point taking responsibility for the good stuff. It's interesting. And then you have, you know, I told you mainstream media in large part they have kind of moved a little bit towards getting away from just covering for Joe Biden and any Democrat. Most of them have moved away and saying, you know what, this doesn't all fit together. You heard that MSNBC, MSNBC, the soundbite that we played where there was a list, a whole list of things where Biden has messed up. But there's another member of MSNBC's bureau in fact, a bureau chief, Ali Aruzi. And Ali on Sunday on the Mehdi Hassan show said that the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan had been relatively peaceful. And that show was on the air when Americans and Afghani allies were struggling to find a place running down tarmacs to get on jets to leave. Aruzi said the country is essentially now in the hands of the Taliban for all intents and purposes. Of course, that was right. They've taken over Kabul. The president, or should I right now say the former president of Afghanistan, fled the country. Taliban has taken over the presidential palace. They've renamed the country the Islamic Emirates. They've taken down the Afghan flag and hoisted up their own colors. And it's been a relatively peaceful, if you like, process, he said. And he wasn't through. He said this, they haven't had to fire a lot of shots. They slaughtered some people. They beheaded some people. They burned one woman who made a mistake of letting her her hair fall down out of whatever the, the garment is that they wrapped their heads with. And because her hair was visible, they burned her alive. They've done that. They hadn't fired a lot of shots. There hadn't been a lot of bloodshed. It was pretty straightforward takeover for them. Now, this is Aruzi from MSNDC that's talking about this. They've also taken over the airport. There's been reports of shots fired at the airport. Taliban fighters are all over the place. But they're not in any sort of clashes with U.S. personnel. Although commercial flights have so far been suspended, military evacuation flights are still taking place. And I think from what we understand right now, most of the U.S. personnel are at the airport now trying to get on to various evacuation flights out of the country with very few security personnel left at the embassy, burnings what is left of sensitive paperwork. That's living in another world. I mean, literally, living in another world. Nobody on the left, even MSNBC, CNN, none of them are talking about this next story. I told you we would get into this. What's happening to the girls? 
Taliban is known for just egregiously taking over young girls, forcing them into marriage as, as young as 8, 9, 10 years old. So while they were marching towards Kabul, the Taliban quickly gained control of vast sections of Afghanistan. I mean, they just swept across the nation. And while they were doing that, the Taliban has increased their brutality due to their success and the lack of any pushback from Afghan troops along the way. The troops just walked away. They didn't really ever confront the Taliban. And you gotta re, you, you you gotta admit this. There hadn't been a lot of international pressure either. Taliban commanders who have taken control of the provinces of Badakhshan and Takhar issued an order to local religious authorities a few weeks ago, instructing them to produce a list of females above the age of fifteen and widows under the age of 45, and this list is specifically for marriage with Taliban fighters. Women and girls, they say, will be transported to Waristan in Pakistan to be, quote-unquote, re-educated and converted to authentic Islam if these forced marriages do occur. The mandate, as you can imagine, has instilled terror in the hearts of women and their families in certain regions of Afghanistan, forcing them to escape and join the ranks of internally displaced persons. And that, of course, is contributing to Afghanistan's humanitarian crisis. Make no mistake about it. Joe Biden, they still haven't admitted that our southern border issue is really a crisis. This one in Afghanistan, it is definitely a U.S. government-made humanitarian crisis. 900,000 individuals have been displaced in the last 90 days alone in Afghanistan. So this edict that's put out by the, the Taliban, it's a stark warning of what lies ahead in the coming months, as well as a frightening reminder of what they did in their 1996 to 2001 regime in Afghanistan. Back then, women were subjected to ongoing human rights violations. They couldn't work. They couldn't go to school. They were forced to wear a burqa and were prohibited from leaving home without a male guardian. And despite claims that they softened up a bit on their attitude on women's rights, the Taliban's actions and recent efforts to enslave thousands of women prove the opposite, the exact opposite to be true. They've stated they intend to deny females education after the age of 12. Women aren't going to be allowed to work. And they're going to reintroduce legislation that requires women to be escorted by a guardian. Afghan women's achievements during the last 20 years while we were there, notably in education, employment, political engagement, They're just going to stop them. They're just going to turn the spigot off totally. The concept of offering wives, you know what it's all about? It's purposeful. It's intended to entice terrorists to join the Taliban. Sexual enslavement, not marriage, is a war crime. 
and it's also a crime against humanity. Forcing women into sexual slavery under the pretense of marriage, that's a war crime, a separate one, and a crime against humanity. The Geneva Convention specifies in Article 27, quote, women must be especially protected against any attack on their honor, in particular against rape, enforced prostitution, or any other form of indecent assault. Now, the U.N. Secretary of Security Council passed Resolution 1820 back in 2008, and that resolution stated that rape and other forms of sex violence can constitute war crimes and crimes against humanity. It recognizes sexual assault as a military strategy aimed to humiliate, control, and terrorize civilians in a community. So what can be done to fight back? Well, i got to be honest with you. The world needs to get involved in this. Think about that. Can you imagine other countries on Earth joining the United States to try to put something in place to attack or push back on what the Taliban is doing? This needs to happen. We've got to ensure women's rights are protected. As a matter of fact, folks, that's entrenched in Afghanistan's constitution, also in national laws, not to mention the international law that we just talked to you about. We've got to demand that peace talks continue with Afghan women taking an active role. Currently, the Afghan government's delegation has just four women that are considered to be peace negotiators. The lifting of sanctions on the Taliban got to be subject to the Taliban's commitment to women's rights. Women's rights and access to school and work must be made conditional on funding from their European Union and any money going from the United States. Those are the two, the United States and the UK, the European Union, are the two major contributors to Afghanistan at the moment. So, If you've ever thought the UN, United Nations, was feckless and ineffective, efforts by them and others in the international community to guarantee that survivors of sex abuse have equal legal protection and access to justice, it's never happened before. Nobody listens to the UN. This can't be a UN thing. This has got to happen at nation-by-nation level. And i got to be honest with you, the thought of Joe Biden standing up and trying to lead a conversation about this. It's frightful to me. First of all, if he would even do it, just imagine him trying to sit with some nation leaders in a room and make a case for anything, yet alone talking to terrorists about not being terrorists or stopping all or some of their terrorist ways and laying out a plan that if you don't, here's what's going to happen. Could you see Joe doing that? I can't. He doesn't have the guts to do it. And even if he did have the guts, I think he'd be so fearful he wouldn't want to step out and lead that. Here's something nobody's talking about, folks. With everything that has just happened since Sunday, I mean, we're talking about Sunday, Monday, and we're just now in the U.S. and Tuesday morning. A couple of days, if you look at everything that's happened, can you imagine how Joe Biden must be feeling this morning when he woke up and he quickly turned on the television to see what was new going on in Afghanistan, and it's just more of the same, 
and even worse and gets worse by the minute and by the hour. Can you imagine how he feels? You and I both understand that pretty much all the shots, the policy and everything that's been written and implemented so far in his administration, he didn't do. In fact, I would I would issue a guess and say that of all the things that have been done, I would be shocked if he had anything to do with the crafting of any of it. I mean, I just don't see it. This guy is not any longer, he used to be, but he's not any longer a self-starter. You know what I'm talking about? That's somebody that will initiate good things. I don't think that's him. I just don't think he has it. And so for him to get up in front of people or sit in a meeting and actually begin and initiate conversations about serious things, new policies, things that need to be implemented, things that need to be checked and stopped that are going on, like this thing with women that the Taliban historically have done, forcing young girls into marriage. And by the way, they've been already in these provincial capitals that they took over, 17 of them. Some of what they've done, they've gone to the doors and they've had these young girls, 12, 13, 14-year-olds brought out and they ask them on the spot, will you concede to marriage to a Taliban fighter? And if they say no, they either immediately grab them and throw them into sex slavery do whatever that is going to look like at this time, I have no clue. Or in some cases, they shoot them in the head. This is 2021. This kind of stuff is not supposed to happen anywhere on planet Earth. And we pride ourselves as being the nation that takes care of everybody, that is concerned about everybody. We love everybody. We want to help everybody. This administration, look what they're doing in the name of helping those who can't help themselves at our southern border. More than a million of those people have showed up to come in just because of what Joe Biden has said on international television. And so what are we going to do now? Turn our backs on these Afghan women? What are we going to do? Are we just going to sit by and do what we're doing today, which is nothing? We're not doing anything. We've run. I mean, we've done a good job of that. We bailed out. We didn't even bail out the way that we told the world we were going to bail out. We certainly didn't bail out the way we told the Afghan people and the Taliban we were going to bail out. We didn't do it according to the agreement that was negotiated under the previous administration. We didn't do it that way. We didn't do anything. We just tucked and ran. That's exactly what we did. This is not a good situation for the United States of America. And forget about the pride thing. Let's put it in the context of all of the bad stuff that is going on. Forget about what it looks like. Forget about the vision, the perspective that people have. Forget about that. Let's just talk about the facts. The facts are, folks, we've messed up. And people today are paying for our mess-ups with their lives. That's how bad it is. Wow. Our next half hour, in fact, 
after the break coming up right now, we're going to visit with that that friend of ours that I just met in the last couple of days from California regarding the medical situation in hospitals out in California and how that state is looking at what's going on in the nation as it pertains to Californians. So you don't want to miss that. We'll be back in two minutes at TNN Live. The world tells you to wait. That waiting is polite. And good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power. Because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policy subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmer's Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. When Bolshevik Barbie throws shade, you have the weapon of light. The truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. And we continue our trek down the road to find and unbury and bring to you more and more truths. First hour, first hour and a half about, we talked about Afghanistan and everything going over there and what our government is doing and not doing right. And we're going to segue this half hour. We're joined now on the phone by Jane from California. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Let me just be honest and say her name's really not Jane. I've always wanted to say this. I'm going to say it now on the air. We changed the name to protect the innocent. That old thing that you hear on the the old uh, detective shows. But anyway, not being funny, not diminishing anything, Jane... Uh, is in California. She's a California native. She has a daughter who is in the healthcare industry in California. And I asked Jane to, if she wouldn't mind to come aboard and tell us exactly what's going on. I, Jane, I want you to handle this from, from two perspectives. First, let's go into your particular understanding and your synopsis of California healthcare and what's going on regarding this pandemic and how it's impacting you and fellow Californians. 
What are your thoughts? Are you looking around seeing things that you don't understand? Or are these things that are happening, are you struggling with fear? Well, probably both. Um, I would say right now, California's healthcare system is a mess. From the standpoint of they are struggling with understaffing at a time when we have a governor who's trying to mandate vaccinations that really don't seem to be supported by the science. Even the CDC itself is having to admit that vaccine, the COVID vaccines do not spread, do not prevent the spread of COVID. And in fact, they've also come out recently and admitted that patients who are infected with COVID, whether they're vaccinated or not vaccinated, have about the same infectious rate. So healthcare workers like my daughter, who's worked for hospitals her entire career, she's currently a supervisor in an ER admitting department, they all stand to lose their livelihoods. She's a single mom. And in months ago when her hospital offered the vaccinations to their employees, she opted not to receive it. Uh, too much concern about what's contained in that vaccine. And frankly, what she's observed since then with her own staff uh, and working in the ER department has only really solidified that decision. But this is just one hospital. I know they're severely understaffed, as are the majority of hospitals in California right now. It's true what you hear. Nurses are leaving in droves, as are other clinical workers, other hospital employees. So they're operating at a point of being severely understaffed at a time when if I were to use my daughter's hospital as an example, they're overwhelmed. It's crazy there. It really is. Their ER is talking out at probably 50%, if not more, patients coming through their doors than what they would typically see at the height of winter illnesses and wow. flus. Wow. They're overrun. And they're overrun to the extent that they don't have the staffing to even open all of their treatment rooms in the ER. So wait times are anywhere from three to four hours to eight to nine hours. That's terrible. And of course, that's that's pretty much what we're seeing around the nation. As as I Jane and I talked on the phone over the weekend, and I, I told you my son is in administration in a hospital in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, he gives us every morning, they have three particular hospitals, the firm that he's with, big hospitals in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, There's Arlington, Plano, and downtown Dallas. And um, collectively, they have a couple of thousand beds. And so he said, Dad, the numbers that you're hearing from the media about the percentages and the numbers of people that are 
checking into the hospital, COVID-related stuff, he said, those are highly inflated. And I said, his name yeah. is Caleb. I said, Caleb, what do you mean? And he said, well, hospitals are required to legally report to their state entities that are over them daily what their capacity is in percentages and numbers of beds. Well, as you just told us, Jane, uh, they're closing down wings of hospitals because they can't get nurses to staff, so they obviously can't have people there. But the media are not telling the public that. Exactly. They're they're reporting on the percentages. Oh, you know, we've only got... Uh, we've got, we've only got ten beds left. They're not talking about or are telling the truth is that a hundred beds were closed down because of staffing problems. So, Correct, Jane. Let, let me just let me just segue into a, another part of this conversation about that. You mentioned in the very beginning about your daughter being confronted with other employees about the possibility of a mandated vaccine. Yes. Um. What is the, and I can't think of a better word to use than temperature or the atmosphere, what is the atmosphere, and you're in, geographically, you're in Northern California, right? I am, yes. Okay. In that part of California, among the general population, people that you integrate with, we're all caught up in this. I mean, everybody. Nobody has a pass from wondering and being concerned about vaccinations and masks and mandates and COVID. I mean, the fear is right keeps us right on the edge of panic all the time. What are people in Northern California saying about this possible mandate across the board? Because we understand that's being considered in the government out in California. Governor Newsom is actually talking yes. about vaccination mandates. What are people saying about it? Well, finally... The unvaccinated, which I think that population has been fairly quiet up until now because of intimidation from the vaccinated, to be quite honest. But the unvaccinated are finally coming forward. There are protests taking place all around. Their voices are finally being heard, I think, because choice is really what it should come down to. Whatever happened, no one should be forced. What, whatever happened to that, my body, my choice? Well, what did happen to that? <laughs> that's sort of the burning question, and that's what a lot of the protesters' signs say. My body, my choice. It's about choice. How do you mandate an entire industry? Any industry. Uh, but especially healthcare that's already struggling. And People do need to wake up because if you try to mandate the health court, the health care industry, I see our health care toppling, quite frankly. The hospital where my daughter works, they can't even hire people. People are not applying to work. So are why pe- that's why there's so many vacancies. They're leaving. They're not coming in wanting jobs. They're that's, leaving. That's what I was going to ask you. Where are they going? Are they leaving healthcare, doing something else, or they're going in other some other role? Hard to know. That's oh. uh, that's hard to know. That that would be an assumption. I really don't know. I get the feeling people are leaving healthcare because of what is happening to it. Yeah. The people that are coming through the ER, it's crazy there, and. Healthcare workers are seeing 
the results of people being forced to be vaccinated or feeling that they need to be or from their jobs or or want to be because they believe that it is safe. Are you hearing stories from your daughter about adverse reactions to vaccinations? Oh, oh my goodness, yes. Even on her own staff, she, one of her own staff had Bell's palsy, which, you know, is like a facial paralysis. Yes. Like stroke-like symptoms. So one of her staff had that. Most of her staff did get very sick, and they were off work for days. Um, but the ER is the stories are mind-boggling because this isn't even winter. What's going to happen when winter hits? But what she's seen come through the ER are strange symptoms. There have been people coming in saying they just received the results of their blood work from their doctors, and their doctor said, you need to get over to the ER right now. Now, we know that's something we've heard, blood anomalies. I think that's pretty easy to connect those dots. Yes. Uh, has seen uh, young men with heart inflammation symptoms. There's been generalized weird symptoms, uh, she said, that a lot of abdominal pain, uh, upper respiratory issues. They do have some COVID patients hospitalized there. In my city, I spoke with a nurse last week and she did confirm to me in our hospital that the bulk of the hospitalized COVID patients are double vaxxed. Wow. Now that's, that. yeah, and that's not something the admitting staff can ask patients when they come through. The clinical staff finds out that information. Yeah, they, can't, they in, can't ask that at the front door. They can't do it right. No, they can't. No, but in our in my local hospital, the bulk of COVID patients hospitalized are double vaxxed. But she said there's just weird symptoms all over the board like she has never seen before come through the ER. That's amazing. Just sick people. Sick wow. people. You, you may be surprised to know the stat that I'm about to tell you. Uh, each of the last three weeks, now this this is not last week. We haven't got the numbers officially yet from, from the CDC. And they don't broadcast this, but it's reported on their website, buried way down there. And we have a specialist that goes and gets us these numbers. These numbers are from the CDC website. The three previous weeks across the nation, deaths, with the official cause of death listed as COVID-19. More people that are vaccinated have died from COVID-19 than people who are not vaccinated who die from COVID-19. Now, why would the CDC not broadcast that across the nation? I'm asking you for your opinion. I think we know the answer to that because (laughs) they don't want the public to know that information. But, you know, you can only hide that stuff for so long, right? Yeah. And Americans are waking up. You're right about that. They are waking up. So I, and, and, I mean, when the CDC is forced to admit that the vaccine does not prevent the spread of COVID, that's a big admission for them. Well, yes. And so why are we mandating? 
You want me to give you my perspective? Of course. We are, our government is in the process of taking, finding ways to take power and usurp power in a way that we have never seen in the United States. And they started, in my opinion, a year ago, this this mask thing that they did. Jane, yes. we, we published last week, from the National Institutes of Health, we published 47 different independent lab tests that were supervised by the NIH, each one that proved that there's only one mask on the marketplace anywhere in the world that will stop COVID-19. And that's an N95 mask with a respirator. The stuff that they and, make. And uh, it has to be form-fitted to your face. Correct. Which, to be effective. Which the, the stuff we see and the ones that we wear when we put one on is anything but that. With, exactly. With that being known, I think the mask thing that they put out and on a local state-by-state, local basis last year with the mask mandate things, I think that was a test. I think it was a test for this power segment of our government that wants to take imminent control over everything in our lives to see just how much of our true American independence we were willing to give up. Absolutely. And we gave gave it up. I mean, we We all wore them. We all wore them. And to some degree, we all still wear them. The vaccines, I think, is the next big test. And I thought they were going to I think they thought they were going to be able to push it out before the truth began to come out and that Americans found out that the vaccines don't work. No doubt. I can't tell. And, and they're already talking boosters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the third shot now is it's mandatory. And in Israel, they're mandating it. If you're 60 or older, you get the third booster shot. And they're not asking Israeli people. They're forcing Israeli people to get it. Yes, I've read that. That just makes me, you know, I'm, I'm from South Louisiana, and we have an old saying. In South Louisiana, if you see something and it quacks and waddles, it's pretty much always a duck. Correct. And I think in healthcare right now, it's not just about healthcare. I think it's about control, and I think they're pushing, and that's not a conspiracy theory, folks. No. You can't, you can't say that. And live through what we've lived through the last 18 months. It's 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 some kind of power thing. Where they're going, that's yet to be um, to be figured out. Well, there's a domino effect involved. I mean, uh, with hospitals, here you are. They've already got a staffing crisis, and yet a lot of healthcare workers, like my daughter, are going to be terminated if this mandate stands. Um, they can be terminated for violating hospital policy. It's already happened means, in Houston. It's already happened in Houston. Well, then that means they're not eligible for unemployment benefits Correct. potentially also. Correct. And then there's a fight going on in the legislatures at some of these states already for people that lose their jobs because of vaccine, uh, vaccination resistance to make them still be eligible for unemployment benefits. It's just insanity that we even have to have this conversation about this stuff. It is. And so, Pete, everyone should be considering what hospital health care is going to look like and when all these health care workers are run off and terminated 
and they're already understaffed and ER wait times are upwards of eight or nine hours. What does that look like for you if you or your family member needs health care? In good. fact, a nearby hospital to my daughter's hospital, smaller city, smaller hospital, they were telling their ER patients to come back the next day. They couldn't even see them same day. It gets worse and worse, too. It really does. Jane, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you sharing with us today. You did a great job. I know you were a little bit concerned, but you did a great job. You just laid it oh, out thank there. You. I love your passion. Let me ask you this. Can we stay in touch with you? And as new things come up in the healthcare industry, you're, you're not just a layperson. Um, you're the mom of somebody that is a pro in the field that is directly in the line of fire of all this. Can we check back with you? Yes, absolutely. It's important. Everybody needs to understand what's really happening. Thank you so much. And you, you have a great Northern California afternoon. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Jane from California. What a gem. We really appreciate her sharing with us. It's always good to get a different perspective. You get tired of just listening to one or two of us. It's good to get new, fresh blood. Back in a moment. The world tells you to wait. That waiting is polite. And good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power. Because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policy subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. When Bolshevik Barbie throws shade, you have the weapon of light. The truth. DNN. The Truth News Network. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out Pete Moss. You just heard Pete Moss talk about Bolshevik Barbie throwing shade. I've got to find out who Bolshevik Barbie is. I have no clue what it was he was referencing there. Pete Moss, one of our 
our great supporters up in Chicago, international voiceover star, longtime radio guy, one of the best I've ever worked with or had worked for me. You got to admit he's got a great voice. Anyway, on to other things. Did you hear about the Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, and um, he put out an executive order declining the legality of any school system in the state of Texas requiring kids to wear masks. Government, governor, executive order. Well, it went to court. And the first court said the governor can't do that. So the governor appealed, and it went to the Texas Supreme Court. Well, the Supreme Court yesterday came out and said the governor's edict stands, and no school, no school system has a legal right to mandate any kid wear a mask. Guess what was announced this morning? Following that Texas Supreme Court ruling that temporarily halted Dallas County, Texas mask mandate and any other mandate, the Dallas Independent School District announced it's going to continue to defy Governor Abbott's order and keep its mask mandate in place. And guess who came out in total support of it? President Joe Biden. Those independent school district officials in Dallas last week, they said they were going to require masks for everybody on its campuses. The announcement was made by Superintendent Dr. Michael Hanahosa, and guess what? I know him personally. He cited the increase in coronavirus cases as his reason for the mask implementation. Now, according to Hanahosa, who spoke with members of the media, the state Supreme Court's ruling did not include Dallas Independent School District, only Dallas County therefore allowing the school system to make its own rules regarding COVID precautions and to require masks. We're going to continue with the mask mandate at this time, he said. The order that was issued by the Supreme Court was issued to Dallas County, and it's listed as Clay Jenkins in the county. It did not say one word about Dallas Independent School District. While the order issued by the Supreme Court did not specifically name that, that district, a follow-up lawsuit against the school district could soon be revealed specifically because the county trial court will be required to issue an order incorporating the legal conclusion reached by the state Supreme Court. So that's still up in the air. But isn't it interesting? Again, you heard what I talked with Jane about. We published here last week a story that included 47, 47 conclusions brought by independent laboratory and massive control testing that show that masks don't work with COVID-19, not the type that can be worn in a school and not by a kid. Those N95 masks that we were referencing, the ones that uh, they basically come with the respirators sticking out the bottom of it, first of all, they're extremely expensive. And secondly, you can't find them anywhere. I mean, they're, they're hard to find, and the people that really need them are the ones that are getting them and grabbing them. And guess where they're all made? I bet you don't know. They're all made in China. <laughs> hey, listen, I want to thank uh, Todd Breland from joining us and Jane 
for joining us from California. I want to thank you for being here every day. Don't forget this show will go live on um, Spotify podcast and Apple podcast within minutes after this show being over. You can go grab them there, listen to them later if you like, or share them with friends. I always thank you for being here. Be positive. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow at TNN Live. So long. Wish I knew what was going wrong. Seems so very long since we left together. It's no good to be all alone When you've hurt a friend And you both feel empty What I'd give to erase the pain Will we afraid that our love may fade and we just won't make it maybe soon we'll be friends again find ourselves and then really make it happen